Alright everyone, welcome back to another mini-sode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here with Adam Chemaluski. Uh Chema, how you doing tonight, man? Man, I'm doing great, dude. Like I said before, I'm just living the life, avoiding jury duty right now. Uh, I've been on call this week. I've gone three days without having to be called in and uh, pray for me. Got two more to go. So if I'm, there you go. two more to go, dude, then I'm at the weekend. There you go. Exactly, exactly. So Chema's avoiding... Chum is avoiding jury duty, and I'm just uh, trying to avoid uh, losing my mind. But um, we, I think we'll get into that a little bit here, more than likely at the end of this mini-sode. Um, and this is a pretty, this is a pretty straightforward one. It's just called "What Is Making You Happy," and Chum and I are just going to go through a lot of the stuff that we generally talk about, and we're just going to throw out some things that like we're into right now. You know, kind of think about it, like think about it almost like recommendations, stuff that we've been listening to, watching, whatever. Um, we're just going to go through this real quickly, and um, you know. Maybe maybe you out there will find something new to watch or find something new to listen to. You know, who knows? So, Chubba, why don't we just go right down the list here? Why don't we start off with some music? Man, what, what musically is making you happy right now? All right, dude. So I am really digging this band called The Armed. I found out about them uh, through one of these, like, top 50 of the 2021 albums like you know through all the different media outlets and it was a highly ranked album um their 2021 album called ultra pop and what they are is um wikipedia has them an american anonymous hardcore punk collective from detroit michigan and it's when you hear that description I'm telling you, I don't think that description does it justice because there's so much more than that. Um, they are definitely in the death grips kind of neighborhood. And like how we always talk about death grips, I would think horror might be the closest comparison to death grips, especially after their new album that just dropped uh, last two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And um, the armed are also in this category as well. And the music is really up tempo, really hard, really fast. It's not so much rap, but there is some times where like it does very, very much mirror what Death Grip sound like, dude. So I listen to it while I work out. Check it out. The armed sounds really good. Any any particular song off there that uh, that everyone should start with, or that you'd recommend most? <laughs> Okay, so let me get down to the uh, track listing here because I did not. It's one of these albums that I just kind of listen to when I work out, and I haven't moved this into absorbing my uh, gotcha. um, by song titles yet. But give me one quick second here, and I will say that a great couple of songs are just from Ultra Pop alone are in the um, kind of like going into the middle of the album, starting off with number three, Masuana Mas Masanga Vapors. A life so wonderful and an iteration like all of those together i think are badass and um it's really short too so like the album itself is um like it's under 40 minutes so okay. that right there that's a nice little uh nice little like stint on the treadmill right there before you uh you know kick it into full gear there you go there you go the armed very good choice um definitely gonna check them out uh, next time i well tomorrow i'll be working out so definitely gonna check them out while i work out uh speaking of workout music i i just i just sort of randomly had like a craving for um some more like classic hip-hop so i just um I, I looked up a old old ll ll cool j song off of bigger and deffer um i'm bad a a classic classic hip-hop anthem and just built a radio station uh spotify station off of that and mm -hmm. dude, the last like two weeks, I've been just going deep into '80s hip hop, into classic hip hop, and it's it, it's it's one of those things like if you think you've heard a beat, um, a line, a hook, something from modern hip hop or R and B or even a pop song, 
Uh, Eric B and Rakim did it first. Slick Rick did it first. LL Cool J did it first. Uh, mm-hmm. NWA did it first. They did it first. It, it, it's 40 years old at this point. So go back, listen to some 80s hip hop, and you will, you will, it's like, a, it's just like this. I mean, like when I'm working out, it's just basically 90 to 100 minutes of like me, li- me listening to the origins, obviously the origins of hip hop, but the origins of a lot of counterculture music. It's been a really great trip. Dude, that is fucking awesome. And you're right about the recycled beats. That's for sure. I mean, my God, some of these things just uh, get turned over, over and over and over again. And you're right. Even like the hooks that you mentioned too, like some of just like these hooks and maybe even little phrases or like kind Mm -hmm. of ahs and stuff like that, that are said throughout the songs, all of them are like done before, you know, it's, it would be like some some kid today thinking that the oi, 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 punk rock is a green day thing, you know? Right, right, right. Exactly. It's like, there's, um, um, I can't remember the exact song, but like, there's stuff that Slick Rick did back in the mid '80s that Miley Cyrus samples and stuff. It has it's sampled and stuff recently. So like, it's it, yeah, it, it, but not. I don't know. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised that um, African American culture has influenced white culture and <laughs> it doesn't get all the credit that it deserves. Gee, just like I don't know, it happened 40 years prior to the '80s. So Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top, 38 Special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there you go, '80s hip hop. Get into it, man. I'm telling you, it's 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 a fun it's a fun time, and it's I don't know. I'm also one of those people that's just very. I love I love the simplicity of the beats too. Mm-hmm. Love the simplicity. Yeah. The simplicity, the rawness of it. There's mm-hmm. not that much production value in on those songs. Like it, it's amazing how like you may hear a song today that's a, a beat that's been sampled, you know, over and over again, and you hear the original version, and like it's like yeah, it's the same beat, but there's like not a lot of flavor and flair to it. It's just like almost how it was meant to be. Yep, exactly. So uh, how about movies, Chema? What's uh, what's making you happy movie wise? All right, dude. So um, not that long ago, this might even been about two weeks ago, I watched the 1957 um, Akira Kurosawa Throne of Blood. Nice. And um, I had a really great time watching this movie. It was like I kind of assembled a um, a list of different things on my HBO Max, and this kind of was just like looking at me in the face, like, okay, dude, finally watch this movie. And like I got to tell you, the telling of this like you know kind of. <laughs> old older times japan with this macbeth kind of um you know basically telling macbeth through this like feudal japan or whatever it is mm-hmm. i just thought it worked so goddamn well and like something was buried in the back of my mind about like the throne of blood being you know macbeth like you know obviously reimagined retold and um i, I it just didn't really like occur to me and then when the two guys are walking through the forest and they see like the oracle and stuff i was like okay now i i know exactly what we're what we're going mm-hmm. through here and stuff and like the way that they um tell this story and the way Kurosawa does it of like, I don't know, man, just knowing it was Macbeth, I think just made it that much more cooler for me. And it's a movie that I definitely would recommend to anybody out there like this black and white. I think it's shot really awesomely. And it, it has this kind of like, you know, what we associate with, with like Kung Fu, it has this little like kind of flair and this kind of like almost like tempo to it that, um, worked really well that I kind of associate with like Kung Fu movies and Mm -hmm. stuff. So, um, I, I really enjoyed it and everybody should check that out. Uh, yes, you should. Akira Kurosawa is a genius. Maybe, maybe one of the, you know, I, I suppose a lot of Asian directors get left off of the, the sort of like the, the, the real, real short list of, um, of cinematic geniuses. Um, Akira Kurosawa, Kurosawa is in the, if you ask me in the top five of any list, 
that you put together. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to argue. I mean, the, the guy's film career stretches, you know, 30 plus years. And I don't think he made a bad movie. No, and like the your, the influence that this guy has, like going from anything from Star Wars to the modern yeah. day, it's it's amazing how like his imprint is still very much and very visible um, in in today's world in terms of like the character developments and portrayals and kind of the storytelling that's involved. Um, and I got to tell you, like I'm really excited to check out some of his other stuff. You know, at least like rewatch it in my modern age. Like I've seen Seven Samurai before, but like God only knows how high and drunk I was when I was watching that in my in my teens and twenties. Right. So like I want to rewatch it as like a conscious adult. Oh, for sure. Some of his sure. some of his other stuff. For sure. Um, I didn't get you know when you watched it, I didn't get a chance to to kind of chime in because I hadn't seen it yet. So I'm just going to take like about 30 seconds here just to lavish some praise on uh, Matrix Resurrections. Speaking of uh, properties taken from uh, from Asia uh, with Asian influence. Um, I'm telling you, I really, really enjoyed this Um, one. It was just it was just really awesome to see um, Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss back in their roles as, you know, as Mm -hmm. um, as Neo and Trinity, Um, maybe two of the most defining roles in the past 30 years. But like it's very clear that a lot of people missed the point of of this movie and probably because we're we're sort of living in this age where um like where the where intellectual property is just constantly even more so than it had ever been before in hollywood just Mm -hmm. the regurgitation of of intellectual properties and you know maybe i don't know maybe that like maybe that even offended some people that like basically like hey you know you guys complain about the lack of original stuff um, but then you go shell out and spend two billion dollars collectively on a Marvel movie that you've seen already. So you know, like, so I, you know, I think I don't know. I think like a little bit of the message gets lost uh, for some people, and that's why like this movie didn't resonate. But like for me, this is this was like a I, I've I've come around on the middle two of the of the four movies a little bit more, especially when you kind of take out take mm-hmm. out some of the action. I've come around a little bit more on them recently. But like to me, this is sort of like a perfect capstone for what the matrix is and like how it you know what it means to hollywood basically yeah dude i loved this whole like self-aware take that they had in the movie and all these like kind of references to me i thought that was great i did not i did not expect that at all and I am a guy that like I saw Wes Craven's New Nightmare in the theater growing up. It was just one of my divorced dad's Sunday afternoons. And there you um, go. I, I I loved Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So I, I do have this appreciation for this kind of like meta, I don't know, introverted yeah. kind of take on or like a introverted take. And also like um, the way that they do, like do the dialogue, the discussions that they have about it and stuff throughout mm-hmm. the movie. I really like that. I thought it was awesome. Like um, you made another great point about the Neo and Trinity being on the screen together. There were like nostalgic, like rushes that I had where it was just like, wow, like it was just so cool to see them like on screen Mm -hmm. again. And, and like, I had a similar reaction when I saw Pesci and De Niro on screen together during the, the Irishman. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, wow, just like how cool is that to like have this happen again? And like, I got to tell you, like, the only thing that I think that really gets me is like, I, I, it's just like, I guess Jonathan Groff would have been, a, I did not expect him to be the, you know, kind of like the bad guy in the movie. And um, I just like, for some reason, there's just something about him being flighty and that, that I was just like, I'm not used to that from Jonathan Groff. And um, that would be the one thing that I just could 
that just kind of got me a little bit. Yeah, I gotcha. I understand what you mean. I I think I you know he's uh, spoiler alert um, as the um, the long dormant Agent Smith. Um, it's kind of weird seeing him do the fighting stuff, even though he's perfectly capable. Like mm-hmm. it, it didn't look it didn't look off when he was in those scenes. But I I kind of really but I did enjoy him as sort of the smarmy CEO, the smarmy yeah. executive. Like he was great as that. Like, and when he makes the transition into Smith, like we know we know that it's him. I just kind of like there was something about it where I'm like, really? Like I just had never seen this side of him before, and I, I love him in just about everything else from Glee to Mindhunter. But there was something about him as the the fighty kind of evilly guy that I'm just like, I don't know. I even love that he was smoking and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's it's definitely it's I don't know if it's like it's probably not up there with the the original Matrix for me, but uh, it's a definitely a piece of it's definitely a piece of that um, that whole mythology that I, I think stands above a lot of a lot of the rest of it. Of course, yeah, I think that this was put together really well. Great take on everything. I, I thought it was good. How about TV, Chema? What's making you happy with some TV? All right, dude. So. We watched Dope Sick, the Hulu show, mm-hmm. um, throughout the last couple weeks. For a show that covers a very depressing topic, I thought this show was fucking amazing. This was so goddamn good. And, like, if you, everybody out there who may be mad at the pharmaceutical industry, just watch this movie because it'll totally make you want to go into a workout montage to, like, try to fight them head on. Because they, um, Michael Stuhlbarg, who plays uh, Richard Sackler, like the, you know, the, the mastermind of um, Oxycontin does a phenomenal, phenomenal job of mm-hmm. playing him. And this guy is like this docile evil that just kind of burns with you. And it almost makes you wonder if like the real guy was actually like this, how Stuhlbarg is portraying him and the way that they, you know, kind of like, kind of refresh your memory about everything kind of give you some information kind of like you know take you back to this time period in the uh the 90s to the early 2000s when this was going on they just brought back all this like i just like my god i couldn't believe that this happened you know man this i forgot about this you know it's like basically like watching like pam and tommy or like one of the american crime stories but it was not done by ryan murphy and just done in a way that I thought told these the stories really, really well. The casting of Michael Keaton, uh, Will Poulter, Rosario Dawson. I mean, they were all just knocked it out of the park. Peter Sarsgaard killed it. And with a toupee, he looks a lot like Kiefer Sutherland. It's really crazy. So (laughs) this, um, this, the casting and everything like, you know, it's, it's shown a light on this unfortunate side of the world that we live in. But it told the stories in a way that you could, like, really, really feel with the characters. I mean, it wasn't just a matter of crying during the finale. It's like you're trying to fight off the urge to cry, like, a couple of times an episode. They told the story so well. So for such a depressing subject matter, this made me happy that this series was done as well as it was. Yeah, I keep getting, like, it's almost it's almost like I, I'm being forced. I'm going to end up being forced to watch it. Because like in three of the podcasts they listen to, they've various people on them have mentioned offhand how good Dope Sick is, and I'm just yeah. like, well, okay. So eventually I'm going to get into it. I, I haven't seen an episode yet. 
eventually I'll get into it. And um, yeah, I, I got I have a feeling I have to be in the mood for it. Am I correct in saying that? You are definitely correct in in assuming that. Yes, dude, one hundred percent. It's something that. Um, like I, it's not like a show that you're just going to like have on in the background. Like you are going to want to watch it, but not in the same way that you would maybe get excited for the new peacemaker episode or a new race yeah. by wolves episode. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dope sick. Watch it. Have fun. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely, I'm definitely going to end up checking <laughs> that show out for sure. Um, so on the completely other side of that, um, uh, still a drama, but more of a comedy, I guess a dramedy would be more appropriate. Chema, you if you haven't seen it, if you haven't checked out the first couple episodes yet, you got to check out Winning Time. It is oh yes, so fucking good. It. Have you seen yeah. it yet? I've watched both episodes. You bet. So fucking good. Um, John C. Riley is an American treasure. Um, mm-hmm. Like an absolute American treasure. Probably the most perfect casting for what for for who Jerry Bus Doctor Jerry Bus was. Yep. Um, like it, it, I mean, Jerry Buss, even up to his death, um, gosh, he's been dead for like at least eight years, maybe nine years now, even, even like towards his later, later years, he was still this very charismatic character, um, uh, in the, in the NBA community, but in the, like the sports world at large, perfect guy to play Dr. Jerry Buss. And I really love when Adam McKay gets material that isn't too serious, but he can <laughs> still make a political point about which mm-hmm. is definitely courses through the veins of this show as well. Um, so like that's, that's great. So this is like right in Adam McKay's wheelhouse. And then mm-hmm. just, I, I love the touch of making it actually look like it's from like a piece of film from like the 1970s and 1980s is also like a nice touch too. That is awesome. The way that they do that, dude, like there are times where like, I swear to God, it changes the camera changes from like the way it looks to almost like an even shittier camera for like, a yeah, looks like, a hand shots. looks like a handheld. Yeah, exactly, dude. And like Michael Chiklis coming on as the owner of the Celtics in the last episode, loved that whole thing. And this kind of dynamic between him and Dr. Buss. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the casting that they took for magic Johnson. Very entertaining, very charismatic guy. I think yep. this is like one of the first things that he's ever done. Like, it is like yeah. what, Quincy, what Quincy if, Isaiah is what we're talking about. Quincy Isaiah, fucking phenomenal selection. And I'm going to make a comment about what you said about Adam McKay because I totally have to. Because it feels good to watch something from him that number one does not like like have subject matter like Dick Cheney. You know, mm-hmm. like I I try. I, I'm not gonna lie. I've tried to watch the movie. And like, I'm just like, I'm not giving this guy the time of day, you know, like, I don't care about Dick Cheney enough to do this. It's not a fault of Adam McKay's. I just don't give a shit about Dick Mm -hmm. Cheney. And then also like to watch something from him that like, does it feel like you're being lectured to death? Like don't look up does it, it kind of like is a real big breath of fresh air to have something that to me is more like the big short, which I absolutely love than it is with Vice and um, Don't Look Up. Yes, exactly. And Adam McKay, like, I guess a lot of people probably don't realize that, you know, the guy who did Talladega Nights is a, like, is a, like, his background is in, like, political humor. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, like, you know, working in, like, you know, doing clubs and stuff in New York, that was, like, the basis of his humor is this very politically charged stuff. So, like, it's, and actually, like, if you, if you really, like, I I listened to, um, an episode of Unspooled, which I would highly recommend if you want to deep dive into into, into movies. Um, mm-hmm. They were talking about Talladega Nights and how it is actually filled, filled with a lot of political stuff that just kind of gets not glossed over, just the humor and some of the ridiculousness sort of covers it up. But there's a lot of oh, political yeah. stuff in it. 
Oh, I, I can completely believe that, dude. And like, I my thing with don't like I love, dude. I love political humor. My thing with don't look up is we've just spent two years living that fucking movie, you know. Right. And and I guess like somebody who like I guess uses movies as like in a form to escape from the real world. I, I just felt that that was too much of a reminder and almost too much of like a documentary just switched like it, it switched the coronavirus thing and the comet and like the way that Trump and all them would perceive it and everything. Like I just wasn't ready to like right. be reminded of what we just kind of read through so accurately. Agreed. Agreed. So in that case, everyone check out winning time. It's a much better, it's a <laughs> yes. much better time than don't look up is and you'll have fun. And also just this like, for the most part, this stuff all happened. Um, mm-hmm. So right. just keep that in mind as you're watching it. For the most part, this stuff all happened. Um, <laughs> how about uh, just like a wild card, you know, piece of entertainment stuff that that's got you that, that's got you happy right now? Okay, so for my birthday, um, a couple months back, actually last month, we're still in March. Um, I was given like these really cool little books. They're called Thirty Three and a Third, and it's a music series. There's a lo- there's a lot of these things. Like I have um, the highest number that I have. I have five of these books. It goes up to one fifty four. So there's at least one hundred fifty four of these little books, and it's just these little things. And when I say little, they are like you know three inches by two inches, four inches by three inches, whatever. And each one tells the story and of a particular album and tells like somebody's kind of hmm. take on it. And right now I'm, um, I, of course I'm reading the longest one first, um, television's 1977 album, Marquee moon. I'm reading that one. I got, uh, Pearl jams versus uh, neutral milk hotel, the aeroplane over the sea low by David Bowie. And then I got Jess, um, Paul's boutique from the BC boys, which I'll probably end up reading at some point. Fair so enough. the, Real little cool things, you know, you could buy them in like, you know, like a lot of indie bookstores and stuff. Like I'm sure some of the major sellers like Barnes and Noble might have some of these. But uh, for someone who likes music, it's just it's just like a cool little freaking thing to have. I'm going to get more of them as soon as I wrap up reading what I got. That sounds pretty cool. I I, I like um, as someone who admittedly doesn't read as many books as they should. Those are the kind of things that I end up reading. Those like those types of stories, those like little, um, you know, like the. Yeah. I don't know exactly how to explain them. Like, um, like my, my sister got my dad a book for um, for Christmas, and it was like um, it was like this like detailed maps of all these like ski resorts mm-hmm. um, that he's that these various ski resorts. Some of them he's been to, some of them he hasn't. Um, and it, like it, you know, it's like a you open it up, and it's like it'll have like a it's a big book, so like you'll have like these big illustrations, and then you'll have like you know on the next couple pages some of the history of yeah. that particular resort, and that like those are the kind of books that I end up reading. Yeah, those like those cool little niche books and stuff like that that are like so specific. Those are awesome. Like I've, it's been very hard to like you know kind of pick books to read. I know that there are so many of them, but it's just like for me, it can be difficult sometimes. So seeing something that is just like right up my alley, and there's 154 of them, and they're in none. I don't have to like start at book one and then get to book 154 to find out the twist. Right. Like, it's just like little things that I could pick up at my leisure and stuff. You know, yeah. there are sometimes you go to pick up a book and it's like, man, do I really want to like put 600 pages into this? Like you are aware that's two months of your life. That's about to be gone. And like, it's, um, you know, just sometimes it could be a little overwhelming. So when you see something like this, you know, you pick it up, these things you probably bust out in like a week, maybe like it maybe a little longer because the television one's 200 plus pages, but it's just cool. So they had this nice little approach to, um, to the to music um music literature gotcha gotcha love it sounds cool 
Um, I'm going to keep this one pretty short because I, I bang the drum all the time for the QAnon Anonymous podcast. But I, I'm, I'm still mm-hmm. like a year, almost a year behind. I mean, there's almost like 200 episodes. There's a ton of episodes. Um, and I just went from episode one all the way through. And I've caught up to one that Chema, I swear to God, is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my entire life. And it, it's about um, it's about the actor. You'll know exactly who this is, but if anyone else, I'll, if anyone out there is unaware, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks here. It's about Jim Caviezel. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Caviezel played Jesus in Passion of the Christ, and yes. I, I always thought that Jim Caviezel was weird. Like it, that that's not. I don't think like I think a lot of people think that he's weird. Um, let me tell you, you have no idea how fucking weird and how profoundly dumb Jim Caviezel is. Um, there's this whole episode of QAA is dedicated to him and the absurdity of his, of his whole career, but like the behind the scenes stuff that you don't see. And in in particular, they highlighted his time on the CBS show person of interest. And I'll, I'll just, I'll leave, this is what I'll like, I'll tease it with. Um, so Jim just like, wouldn't remember any of his lines or learn them. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course. So, you know, so he would, um. So he would stand there like like late like old Marlon Brando in movies would like have a cue card in his hand, um, right. except for that Marlon Brando could pull it off because he's fucking Marlon Brando. Um, Jim Caviezel is just a guy. Um, so the last like three seasons of Person of Interest, in any given scene, you can see Caviezel looking down at his hand and reading the lines that are pre you know that are preceding his lines before you know before like he finally gets to where he has to speak. Um, and it got to the point where he would, in various scenes, if they needed him, if they needed him to be doing something while he read his lines, he would tape his cue card up to the face of the actor that he was facing. Oh, God. And, and I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to say this. That is one of the least weird things that he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that guy's a goddamn wacko nut job. Um, and the fact that I can't even believe, I just... I can't stand that asshole. I don't like any of the work that he's done. Like Michael Emerson's amazing. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's almost like a crime that the two of them had to be on a project. I hope to God they're not friends. I and, can't um, imagine that he is friends with anyone in Hollywood at this point. Good. And that's, other that's, than Mel Gibson. Weird. I wonder right. why they get along. Yeah, I know. Right. And so like, um, something like that totally like, I don't know, in a way, like I'm sort of, surprised but yet like not surprised by that because that guy's just a total turd douchebag brando can do whatever the fuck he wants brando tells you to thumbtack his lines to your head you're going to thumbtack your lines to the Mm -hmm. head but this guy it's just like dude you know there's a lot of people out there that probably could do this job and actually show up and read their lines right exactly exactly so the the q you can if you i'll i will send you the link directly because it's fucking hysterical but if, if anyone else out there is very curious, it's the Q Not Anonymous podcast. It's called Into the Cavortex, which is what what the people working on um, on person of interest would call it when Jim cornered you. The Cavortex. <laughs> the Cavortex. <laughs> All right. How about uh, how about something? I'm calling this lifestyle, but just something in your social life, I suppose, that uh, that's making you happy. All right, dude. So um, we had some redemption for that Michelin star restaurant debacle oh, yes. that I had described and everything. Um, we went to a place that was awarded a Michelin star in 2019. It's called Osteria Mazza. It's an Italian place. 
absolutely fucking amazing. Like some of the best Italian in the city and it totally made up for that botched, whatever the hell that was that we experienced before. Excellent. Excellent. There's, there is nothing like getting that. There's nothing like getting food or food. I'll call it food redemption. There's nothing like getting food redemption. Oh my God. It was all that in a bag of chips, dude, for fucking sure. I loved it. Um, Chema, I recently went back to BG for a weekend. Um, and let me tell you, I will never, ever, ever get tired of college beer prices or just college drink prices. Yeah. I bought a round um, for the four of us. I bought a round. They, it was two, two 32-ounce Miller Lite drafts and then two vodka sodas. And I want you to guess how much it cost me. Two 32-ounce Miller Lite drafts, two vodka sodas, uh, 12 bucks. Ooh, very close. 16 Ooh, wow. That's still very fucking cheap. $16. I I literally, I went back through, I was so curious. I went back through the following week and like went through all the places that I ended up using my card that like Mm -hmm. weren't food places or whatever. I I spent on a weekend drinking way too much. I spent just barely over a hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm really fucking jealous because that's all of like five drinks out here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that, I mean, that was for like, that was a couple of different times. Like, doing that like buying rounds for like four or five people yeah i am really jealous of that because even though we we went to um westwood which is where ucla is and for that being a college town drinks were still pretty pricey oh, I'm up sure. there <laughs> yeah i'm sure <laughs> oh man I'm, i love hearing stories like that because there's just nothing that makes me hap- happier than knowing that people are getting drunk at a reasonable rate exactly uh all right, how about any, any any personal stuff that's making you happy oh yes dude so um God, I've been meaning to, like, I can't believe I even told you about this. But so um, for the last, like, God knows how long, it's been, like, close to 20 years, I've had cluster headaches. It's a fucking nightmare. I've had, when we first started recording, I actually had a couple, like, during some earlier episodes, which Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know how the hell I managed to battle through. But um, Were those the episodes that you were just screaming the entire time? Maybe, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um the um my doctor um who's absolutely fantastic dr tipperini at ucla health got me on a calcium blocker called verapamil verapamil and um no joke dude uh it took all of like these cluster periods usually last for like three months i somehow got lucky where my appointment was right smack dab in the middle of this three-month period so it was like six weeks of me having cluster headaches and stuff uh Two weeks later, completely gone, have not had one ever since. And I just could not be fucking happier about that. I have to take like a pill every day, which believe me is not a big fucking deal. It's even more difficult to remember to take them. Um, But this whole thing has been, it's been amazing. Like it's good, you know, to feel like I don't have to like sacrifice three months of my life every year to this shit. So Dr. Tipperini, thank you very much. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that's I mean, that's great, obviously. Um, and it's good that you're, you finally you finally found a solution. It's, there's nothing worse than being in some kind of chronic pain or discomfort or, you know, being afflicted by something. and There's like no answer. Yeah, it was trying to find an answer for this in Cleveland was like a nightmare, dude. Let me tell you. So I was very, very happy that everything worked out. And uh, I'm telling you, man, like I I keep seeing her just to, you know, give updates and everything. And I'm going to keep taking if I take this every day for the rest of my life, I will. That doesn't matter if it's working. It's working. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. So uh, I I know I know I've told you off the air recently, but like uh, 
so like the my position at work is it's basically it's it's basically an old position that they've kind of broken up and because of this um the person i work with we're like we're finding all of these just gaping holes in communication and gaping holes in processes and like it's really been like while trying to improve our system at work we've also been trying to like basically build the build like at least like scaffolding so we could like have some kind of communication structure in place and like finally in the last couple of weeks it's like finally coalesced where things are working the way they should have been working for years they're finally like clicking into place and it's and it's you know like not one of those things where i'm not one of those people that like like i don't like i don't mind working while i'm at work like i truly don't but now all the tiny dumb things that i that were just eating up my time are out of the way because nice. now people can skip me and actually go to what they need to do like they know what they need to do now and they can take action without me having to basically show them and it's one of those things that like it's very you don't realize it until you change it how like how comforting and relaxing that is when you don't have to jump up for every single every single email every single slack message you don't have to worry about it because now someone else knows what to do already dude doesn't that fucking feel great just knowing that little stupid things that that are been ironed out all this work you put into it is now starting to come to fruition fuck yeah that's awesome yep, yep exactly it's it's just like it's like again it frees me up to do all the shit that like needs to get done and mm-hmm. same and same for uh you know same for like my i guess our co i guess we're co-managers co-supervisors i don't know um same for her too like she is freed up to do other stuff that like she has to get done so we don't have to Every time someone says jump, we don't have to say how high because it's not for us. So right, God, that feels great, doesn't it? Yep, it's amazing. <laughs> All right, uh, any any final thoughts here? Other than I'm very happy we did this episode. This was cool, actually, just to kind of get out some random, you know, things that we're into currently. I think that's great. Absolutely. How about you? How about you take us out of here, Chema? All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to uh, this minisode. For the Occasionalist Podcast, Adam Chemelewski and Matthew Pagel, we are wishing you the best, and we'll see you next episode.